Join me as we skip to the end of the book. Not the ending of the story, but further in the back. Almost by the back cover. The Acknowledgements. I've always been fascinated by the acknowledgements and find myself asking questions I wish I had the answers to. Are the people they thanked still in their lives? Do they regret not including someone? What's the meaning behind this inside joke or story? Well, now I'd finally get the answers to my questions. In this podcast, I'll talk to the authors and explore the acknowledgements. So flip to the back of the book with me and let's start there. Well, I am super excited to be talking to Monica West, who is the author of Revival Season. Hi, Monica. Hi, Atag. Great to be here. I'm so happy to talk about you as an author, about your writing, about you as a reader, and of course, your acknowledgments. And I'd like to actually start off and ask you to give a premise of Revival Season. Tell us a little bit about what it's about. Sure. So Revival Season is the story of 15-year-old Miriam Horton, who is the oldest daughter in this conservative family where her father is a Baptist preacher and a revival leader. So every summer they go around the South and the father leads revivals that heal people of diseases and ailments. And it's about the course of this one summer where Miriam witnesses an act of violence that throws her whole life into upheaval and she questions everything from family to faith to patriarchy in the course of this one summer and this year that comes after. And this was such a um, fascinating read for me. I read it last summer and it was one of those books where once I started reading it, I had to just see where, where it was going. Yeah. And I loved so many of the different topics and the, the relationships between those that are in the family and the friendships. And then also just, you know, some of the questions that I even find myself asking, you know, over my life about faith and God and and such and how they came out in this book. So it was really, really fascinating. Thank you. So I'm skipping to the back of the book where I was also so happy when I finished this book to see a few pages of acknowledgments. (laughs) I was really excited and it's so interesting, right? How authors choose like, I've seen some, of course, that don't have any acknowledgments, some that are a short paragraph, but I was super giddy when I saw that you had a few pages of them. So I guess first, let me start with that question. What Mm -hmm. what led to that, where you have multiple pages of acknowledgments? (laughs) So it's this really funny thing that the second, the writing a book is this really long process of, I sold the book in February, 2019, and then it came out in May, 2021. So about two years, three months of gestation time prior to the previous years of having written it and the whole way through I remember thinking I've loved acknowledgments in books when I read them and so I love to see how the book took shape and who's who are the readers and who are the people involved and I knew that the book I started the book in 2012 finished that it got published in 2021 and there have been people along this really 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 long journey and so I, when I, I asked my editor, you know, I said, when we looked at the final pages, we had it listed. And then it was, you know, the last step was to write acknowledgements. And I said, mine are going to be pretty long. Is that okay? <laughs> and then she said, it will work to fit them in there. Um, and so I just kind of took full liberty to just kind of 
it's like my love letter to my community and the people who shaped the book. And I didn't want to skimp on that. So if I had only a few pages, I would have had to be a little bit more concise, but I got the freedom of having some more space. And I wanted to just be really, really intentional and grateful. And it also gave me time to rethink that whole journey of kind of, oh my gosh, where was I in 2012? What was I thinking through? Who helped me in the early stages? I didn't want to leave anyone out. So yeah, my acknowledgements are lengthy. <laughs> Which I love, of course, you know, given, given the topic of this podcast, I loved it. Yeah. And, and so did anything have to get cut from the acknowledgements or was this really how you wrote them? That's exactly how I wrote them. They did not get cut. What's actually really funny right now is that last week, so the paperback is coming out in, you know, in, in May and um, there's a reading group guide that is going in the back. So it's actually kind of making length really short. And I literally thought I'd have to cut some acknowledgements for the paper background, but we ended up having to like do a little bit of like the dedications on this like copyright page, which is not ideal, but it's okay. But it's, I didn't have to cut acknowledgements. So I wrote them just the way they were and were printed. I was so worried that they were gonna tell me cut two pages from them. So the way that they came out of me is the way that they appear in both the hardback and now the paperback, which will come out That's soon. Awesome. And yeah. I love that there's going to be a, a reader's guide and, you know, yeah. so it'll have like book discussion questions yeah. and such. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I know even when I've been, you know, passing my copy of the book along and others have been reading, you know, their copies, we've had a lot of really rich conversation. So yeah. I do love when a book, um, the back of the book kind of adds to some ideas around what we can talk about and the questions to ask. Yeah, so that's coming in the paperback version. Fantastic. So as I was reading through the acknowledgements, I noted a, a few things. And one was mm -hmm. that, was this really nine years in the making then, this book? Yeah. So I'd love to like hear more about that and hear about really the inspiration for the whole concept behind your book. Sure. So it was absolutely nine years in the making. It started in 2012. And um, I want to say it was September 2012. I'd had another book prior to this one that will probably not see the light of day. Um, and I'd been writing it since 2002. And so that previous book took 10 years to write. And then this book, that book finished. And um, I was in the process of trying to figure out like, what do I do with it? Do I try to agent it? Do I, I, I wasn't sure. And then I was getting some feedback about here are these big changes to make. And so then that was done. And I literally right as soon as it ended, the way books come to me in images. And so I will see a picture in my head that the difference between, I, I see images all the time, but when they repeat and recur, that's when I know that there's something there that's beyond just something kind of fleeting. So right when I finished the first book and wasn't sure what was going to come next, I kept seeing this image of, a van traveling down a highway and I was thinking I don't know what this van is and who's in it and what's going on but I kept seeing the image and so I said okay let's see what this is my first book had come to me in an image of a box of belongings kind of getting rattled around on a lap in a car so similar images mm -hmm. of movement um and so the second one I said okay what is this thing and I so I didn't know so I saw the van I saw them driving and so then I had to ask questions about who's in the van and where are they going? And what's the conflict? And I kind of thought about, and so that was all 2012 was this idea of the van, who's in it. 
Um, and I thought it'd be really interesting to put inside the van someone with the most power and someone with the least power, and then also have them, like the van was more than just, I take you to school for 20 minutes each day. The van had to become a way of life and kind of this home away from home for a while. When I knew that that was going to be the, the way that it was going to work, then I said, what, what would be the reason for that? Right? Would someone be kind of on a van for so long on the road? And then the idea of someone who's a revivalist and um, a preacher came, the idea of like, being away from home on the road for a while, having him be the leader, having her be the kind of supplicant daughter who has doubts. Um, and so it shaped from there. So the, it started with the image in 2012. It went through a gazillion revisions um, and it was not always, you know, about this, but I knew I, that when I decided that that was going to be the way it was, then it just took off on its own and um, finished the first draft in 2015, uh, went to Iowa in 2015, revised it, workshopped it, all those things until 2017, um, sold it and gotten, like, got agented in 2017 and then again in 2018, sold it in 2019. Um, so it's like that long process of a book from idea to uh, this hard copy. I love that. And I, you know, what's just amazing is that you, you stuck with it this whole time. I feel <laughs> like there's so many opportunities to just be like, you know what, never mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what, how did you keep that motivation for that long? I, that's a great question. Um, I think that for the first three years, when I was writing it from 2012 to 2015, when I was drafting it, um, I was excited about the concept and where it was gonna go. When the early days of a book, when all is possibility, what if this happens? What if this happens? And it was also a really great escape from, I was teaching high school English during the day, full time. And writing has always been my, my place of peace, even when it's hard, it's, it often is. And so I'd come home from school when I had time and wasn't grading and reading. And I would just write, and that was just my kind of my refuge. And so um, that was the initial thing that kept me going. Later, I think in 2012, the summer of 2012, um, I went to this um, this community of writers that I would go to, and I just had the first chapter of the book done. So I must have started the book earlier in 2012, maybe April of 2012. Um, and I just finished the first chapter, and I was like, eh, "Here we go." And it's such a terrible rule to workshop something that's brand new. And so I brought this chapter into my workshop group, um, the Squaw Valley Community of Writers. And then I, everyone said, oh my God, this is fantastic. And so it was my first bit of feedback about the book outside of my own head. And so then what was started happening after that that kept me going was maybe this is something. Um, it's not just me thinking like, I don't know, maybe. And then I just was getting feedback. And so feedback was the first thing that kind of kept me going, interested in the idea, wanting to see it through. Um, and then the first chapters are what were my writing sample to get into Iowa in 2015. And then we spent time there. So I kept finding fresh ways to be inspired by people around me um, or by the, 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 the project itself that just kept me going. And I definitely wanted to give up a bunch and um, never did. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and you really, it seems like focused on the motivators and the people. And I think that's what really came through in your acknowledgements was really all these different people along your journey that were there for you in different ways. Absolutely. Um, one of the um, acknowledgements that I loved, I'm looking at my copy now, was 
it, it starts it as the word friend doesn't even begin to mm-hmm. approach what these three women have been to me. And then you name, you know, three women, you're my sisters, my chosen family. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there already sobbing from other things <laughs> in the book. And then of course, I'm like, oh, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah. me about these friends. These are, yeah, I met them, Marlissa and Tanisha, I I met at Duke um, in 1999 when I got there. And from not quite day one, but year one, we became kind of instantly inseparable. And friendships change and evolve and things are different. And yet for the past, since 1999, so 23 years, these women have been in my life completely all the way you know, before this was even a book. Um, and then what's happened, and then Tynesha went to business school with Demetria, who then, um, we were living in New York at the same time. And so I then met Demetria through my friend Tynesha. And then she and I lived about 10 blocks away from each other in New York. And we were inseparable um, too. And so then we now have become this this bigger, you know, group of people. I just was in Seattle this past weekend with Demetria. And so, um, so from the beginning, they've nurtured the book and they've nurtured me and the crying and the, I don't know what this is. And you've got this, even the first book before this one, the first book, my best friend, Tanisha's read the first book in its entirety that not, not many people have done. And they've just always been encouraging and telling me to keep going and keep doing. And then when the book finally came out, we had celebrations planned that got canceled due to COVID, but we finally got a chance to all spend about four or five days in San Diego this past summer and celebrate the book's release and do this really fun girls trip. But like this, that they are my community um, in so many ways. So that's that group of women who has been more than friends to me from for since 95 when I got to college. So, yeah. I love that. And I love what you're saying. And I find this too with like my, you know, groups of friends is that, you know, you can laugh and cry with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that you, that's when it, you know, it's a, that strong connection, like that soul yeah. connection, because you're able to do both of those things, right? Grieve right. and celebrate. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not just the joy. It's the, it's the everything we've done life together for 20 plus years and that's yeah. not going to change. Yeah. yeah. Another one that I loved is, you know, you were talking about novels are conceived and written in seclusion, but they're nurtured in community. And, you know, one of the references here is Gabby Ryan. I'll never forget the conversation in your backyard when you pushed me to pursue my MFA. Tell me about Gabby. So Gabby is a Teach for America friend. So um, I met Gabby in 1999, moved to Houston to do Institute of Teach for America. Gabby was my roommate at Cambridge Oaks, the kind of like fancy apartment complex um, in Houston. And from, we had this moment of getting to Houston, being 22, like, what are we really doing? Um, We just got out of college and I met her, you know, when I was kind of unpacking and then she came in and from literally that moment, she and I were inseparable. Um, And so then beyond, beyond Houston, um, we both were stationed in Phoenix. And so we moved to Phoenix together and then we lived together for two years in Phoenix. Um, and then just our lives have, you know, she's in Southern California. I'm in Northern California. Um, I'm going to see her next weekend. Um, so a friend that's been there from the beginning and back in, oh goodness, Gabby's always been in my ear. Like you should write, you should write, you should write. 
And so when one trip, when I came out to see her, we were sitting in her backyard and she was just telling me under this tree that like, you need to pursue this MFA thing. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I should, you know, it's the, it's the scary thing. It's the unsure thing. It's the unsettled thing. Mm -hmm. And she said, you have to do this. You have to try this. And so I, that conversation led to a few rounds of MFA applications because I did not get in. I got waitlisted or, you know, different things in different rounds. And, um, but I just kept going. And when I finally got in, like, I think on the third time, maybe, um, when I was like, this is going to be my last application. Maybe this is just not for me. Um, I just remembered me telling her, like, I, I'll give it a try. I'll try it. But she was one of the first people to tell me, like, you should do this. Then other people started telling me, you should do this. And then it just kind of coalesced. And so I did it. So she always says that, you know, you have to remember the day under the tree when I told you that you should try this thing. So, yeah. <laughs> and I loved it. I yeah. love that it, like, referred to this, like, you know, I'm yeah. as as you said, part of a lot of conversations, but this yeah. one conversation and you remember it right under this tree. Yep. And it's so funny how just like something that sometimes feels like a fleeting moment even can make that impact. Uh, it reminds me that, and this was years ago at like a, you know, little like toddler play date where I was just talking. And one of the other moms was like, you have a really good voice for a podcast. This was years ago, just this right. random thing. And it is one of those weird things that kind of stuck with me and then different things yeah. came together. So it's just, it's so funny how that happens. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's, it's this moment, it's, it's synchronicity because Gabby had said it. And then um, some of my, I taken these summer writing courses I had mentioned to you, or um, I was in this community in um, Brooklyn and, and my instructor said, you should try this. And so I just kept having people say it like, you're good at this. You should do this. And yeah. so it's, it was Gabby for sure. And that was always there. And then when more people would say it too, I was like, ah, oh, I kind of can't ignore this. And so similar to you, like, hmm, maybe I should lean into this a little bit and see what right. happens. Yeah. yeah. And, and looking at all of these people you're thinking, and, you know, as I was thinking about also the characters in the book and specifically sure. about Miriam, you know, the, the young girl in the book, was she influenced by anyone real in your life? Yes and no. I think that Miriam for me is kind of this, this big combination of this strong kind of gutsy, curious young woman, which that is definitely part of me and, and how I see myself. It's like, I was always asking questions like, well, why this, why this? And it was also a little bit of an homage to kind of, um, like women in my life who I've met through churches and I kind of think some of them and um, the acknowledgements, but people that um, have just had these, like, like I have this faith and I, I, I have these, these strong beliefs, but then I have these other really like nagging worries and fears and, and, and questions. And so it was a little bit, it was a little bit of me in terms of just kind of the parts of her, what I, what I felt like is kind of her curiosity and, and need to know things. And it was a lot of bit of other people's kind of, you know, Miriam, I think people ask me if Miriam is, you know, based in me and it's like, Miriam, Miriam is not me, but Miriam's concerns are mine. Um, and so like that was a little bit of kind of bringing into other voices that I've been having questions and, and conversations about. And so 
not anyone in particular, but just kind of a life I've had living and, you know, going to church and being parts of those communities and wanting to speak for people who don't often get voices. So, yeah. Is there a favorite part or favorite line that you have of the book? I do. Um, I have a sentence that I, that I really loved writing. There's a part at the end when Miriam kind of describes what it feels like to have an absence. Um, and there's a line that I really loved writing. It's in, on page 166. Um, and it's describing this idea of kind of the absence of her father in their life and kind of what, what it feels like. And so a line I really enjoyed writing was, in its absence was a black hole that seemed bigger than the presence that had inhabited it, like the gap left behind after losing a tooth. The ragged, sore space in your mouth always felt larger than the tiny bit of enamel that fell out. So that's a line I really loved. I feel like those are the lines sometimes when I'm reading a book where I'll read it and then be like, wait, I have to go back to that, you know, because I have <laughs> to like, do you know what I mean? When you're like, yeah. oh, I want to read that again. So that's, yeah. you, and you have a few of those in here where I was like, let me read that again, just because it was just gorgeously written or it was just something that you know, I've either thought about or considered or connected with. And are you working on anything new? Do you have any other books you're writing? I am. I had this book and I forget. It's really funny because, you know, writing takes forever when you kind of do it. Um, but then you also forget because for me, um, for me, this process was so long that I've forgotten the first draft part. It's been a long time since I've been at a first draft, a like complete first draft. Mm -hmm. And it is tentatively about the image that it came from, since now you know that's how books come for me, is um, I kept seeing something silver and something shiny against something that's kind of like matte and dull. And um, like, what is this? I'm writing my way through it. Like what, th this was a hard image to figure out. The other ones were, I see a van on a road. This was like, sure. what's this, what's the glint? Like I kept seeing like a, like a glint against something dull. I said, what's the glinting? What's the dull? What's like, I had to figure out the image first. And what I think it has resolved itself to be is an image of something like handcuffs against ground. So against like a, like a concrete floor. And what that has become, I think, again, all the qualifiers, <laughs> because who knows this book, um, it looks like it's going to be about, um, I'm still kind of keeping with the themes of like power and patriarchy. And um, there's going to be this kind of charismatic guy um, named Greg, who kind of lures women into this, what soon becomes, uh, like it initially starts off as this like intentional community that then becomes a cult. And I am writing from the perspective of three of his several wives and um, in this community, this it's, that eventually becomes called the way. And so it's kind of about this like slow process that gets them involved with it and with him and about his rise to power and, and, and how dangerous he becomes. And then their different feelings about their positioning there, their um, complicity in some of the evil that happens and then how and if they decide to leave. So that's what this one is about. That sounds like a really interesting read. And I, I cannot get over, I'm so fascinated by you like, you know, seeing this image and building it into something so, so much 
further than that. That's really <laughs> yeah. interesting. Thank you. Yeah. I, I went, people say like, Oh, how do books come to you? And it's like, and I, it's just hard to describe. It's like, I literally see pictures and then, and it's funny when, when revival season ended and when I, I sold it in 2019 and that was kind of, you know, waiting around for that. But then when I first finished it and was trying to get agented and that was like 2017 and um, in 2018. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm done with this book. Initially I thought, and then what's going to come next. And then I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an image. I don't have a, like, what if, the, what if that's dried oh, right. up? And then <laughs> right as I was getting the ending of this done, which was the hardest thing. And I think I revised the ending a million times. The new image popped in. I said, oh, there it is. And so it like, it's, it, it stayed until this book had finished gestating. And then I went back and I revised and stuff. And so I'm about 80,000 words into this new book, which is long, but I have to like cut because like it doesn't make sense um in lots of ways but it, it came when I finished the ending and I said oh, where's the next one and then literally it came so yeah that's okay so in, this one's not going to be a nine year I don't think I hope not <laughs> I hope not although I started it in 2017 so I'm already like in year five but like okay not like in earnest writing it's been like I started like a sentence or two I've gotten a lot of in earnest writing done probably since I would say 2019 when I when I sold this book and then I was working on this one so Monica I'd love to talk to you more about what you are like as a reader Mm -hmm. Uh, so you know what what genres of books do you read do you have something that you kind of tend towards yes I am I write the books that I like to read and so I'm a really big into literary fiction. I'm really big into stories about families, stories that are people would come maybe call quiet um, and maybe slow. Are those books that I'm just like, oh, develop a character and give me a sense of this relationship and the kind of simmering rage and all those things. I'm here for all those types of books. <laughs> I'm less here, and this is not, you know, people have reading works for all different types. So um, I'm right now, and one thing that's been really hard with publishing a book and my friends and who published books have said this reading got harder for me reading's always been a thing that I flew to and it was my escape and yet when I published and for a little for a little while it was hard for me to pick up a book and, and read it and I don't know what that why I don't know what what that was about I'm getting it's getting better um I was like can I could I be able to read again um and so it's like I can't not read um so I'm reading for work I, I currently work as a professor at University of San Francisco I'm reading for work so right now I'm reading Ocean of Wongs on Earth for Briefly Gorgeous um I am for pleasure reading Anthony Doerr's Cloud Cuckoo Land um I am a reader of I've been really into reading books by um like by BIPOC women um and so I have loved, in recent years, I love, um, I have loved The Vanishing Act by Britt Bennett, also, also The Mothers by her. Mm -hmm. um, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. I loved, yeah, I'm into, like, I'm into stories, often stories about women and women in their lives and not always big, elaborate things have to happen, but like small things. One person who's a master of plot, I think, is Celeste Ang. So Little Fires Everywhere. It's like everything leads, but it's, but it doesn't feel like grandiose when it's happening. It's just all the events are plotted together to build up to this thing that feels like this inevitable crescendo. So I love, I love her. I love her writing. So yeah, I've been reading a lot of 
voices that I think are speaking to that type of experience, like a, like a, like black women in particular, women of color. Um, I know I'm reading Anthony Doerr right now, but, um, but before Anthony Doerr, I was reading, uh, oh, Freshwater by Kwake Metsi. So um, they wrote this beautiful book. And so I was reading that. So yeah, a little bit of stuff I like to write is what I like to read. It's interesting that concept of where, as you said, there's things are happening in a in a smaller way during mm-hmm. the book. Sometimes those are the books that, you know, once I finish it and I close it where I'm just kind of sitting there and like you're reflecting on it more in a different way because yep. now it's finished and all right. of these things happened in so many different moments. So mm-hmm. in a way, sometimes those are the books that stay with me for a mm-hmm. long time and the ones that I want to really talk about with other people because there's so many right. different pieces to take out of it. Right. There are layers upon layers. And then you realize, oh my goodness, what's this thing that I just kind of devoured? And it's, yeah. And it's, yeah, the books that I love and that stay with me are books that are, sometimes they have lots of things happen in them. And it's, oh my gosh, can you believe this, this, this twist happened? But there are friends of mine who'll say, oh, I just couldn't get in because not, not enough was happening. That's rarely an issue that I have. Um, I can be there for a description of a, of a world in a sentence or, or a paragraph of some grass and I'm here for it. So I don't often <laughs> need to kind of be, you know, whisked off by 55 events that happen on the first page. Right. And, and so along the lines of things that you read, you know, in your acknowledgments um, towards the end, you acknowledge mm-hmm. your mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And what you say is you read to me when I was little and helped me imagine worlds that existed in books, which is such a, also such a beautiful line. So tell me, you know, more about that. And what was your favorite childhood book? Uh, I was, I mean, I was a, such a voracious reader as a child and my mom um, was a teacher. And so my life when I was a kid revolved around going to the library, going like every week and getting that big plastic bag full of books that we would bring home and tear, you know, open. Um, I was a really, really active kid, really active kid. And I, you know, I was always like jumping out of trees. Like, like that was me as a kid. And the one thing that would keep me still and settled and quiet. And like, um, my mom didn't let us watch a ton of TV. She's like, just give me books. And so that was the place where I wouldn't talk to anyone. I wasn't going to be in anyone's hair. I just would sit and read. And so, um, my childhood was full and full, full, full of books. Um, and I would say that when I was little, a book that my parents read to me all the time and it's my mom bought it for me for Christmas, maybe five years ago. It's called drummer hop. And it's about like these little, uh, these people kind of making, it's like repetitive book about kind of them, you know, how they kind of go and make this cannon and like Sergeant barrel brought the barrel, the drummer hop fired it off. Like all these people. And it's like, keeps like bringing in new people to kind of, you know, fire off this cannon, which I, I don't know why I loved it. So it has this really kind of ornate illustrations. So it's on, like, I have that on my shelf. That was a book that every week we went to the library, I picked it back up and I was like, we don't want something else. I'll get Drummer Hoff and 10 other books, but I want Drummer Hoff too. Um, we also were the summer, like I was always, my sister and I competed in like the summer library things or like who reads the most books and yep. the Pizza Hut book it things when we were growing up where you get a pan pizza for reading, like that kind of incentive. <laughs> scholastic book fair like buying those books when I was like the best days of my childhood um 
when I grew up a little bit, I would say I really got into, I don't know why I like really sad books, but Bridge to Terabithia, I loved, which mm-hmm. was sad. And I remember like, oh my God, the first book that made me ball. Um, I got into the Babysitter's Club as, I mean, who didn't? Um, and so when those cut, especially like the really big, thick ones, like, yes, yes. you're going to get to be in this for a really long time. Um, and they're back, I hear, if you'd like to start I reading hear, them again in like I a hear. graphic novel format. Interesting. Yeah, they were, they were a huge part of my, and I was a babysitter. It's like, look at this, look at their adventure. Um, and then uh, when I got into school, like when I got into high school, um, yeah, when I was a sophomore, I remember um, one of the first books that made a huge impact on me was one of the first books that I saw, not my own experience reflected, but a Black experience reflected, was I read Richard Wright's Native Son when I was in 10th grade, and that blew my world open. And that was kind of this idea of like, oh, look at this, like, look at this world of voices, like voices that are speaking to an experience that's similar to mine. Um, and that opened me up to kind of like, we read Their Eyes Are Watching God when I was a senior, and then I was an English major in college. So books have been my life from before and like literally everywhere. Like I can shape my whole life by what I was reading, but my parents so encouraged that and loved that I read and, and I started imagining. And then I started, I think I started writing when I was nine. So, um, yeah. I I love that you're sharing that you're a really energetic child and that's where like books came in for you. Which is so interesting because I was a super shy, introverted mm-hmm. child. And mm-hmm. that's where books came in for me. So yeah. it's just like, right? Like talking about yeah. like opposite experiences, but still yeah. like coming together with this like common thing, these books that can lead you in so many different directions. Right. I swear it was my parents. It was their kind of like like quiet way of like, hey, we need her to like not talk for about two hours. <laughs> give her a book because I also never shut up. So it was this kind of like, give her a book. And I was like, great. And I was in a book, but yeah. So from like how books appeal to people in different ways and what they bring out of it, it kept me out of jumping out of trees. Um, and it kept you kind of like you're in your kind of introverted world. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Monica, it was such a lovely time talking to you and hearing about you as an author and as a reader. Is there anything else you want to share about, you know, your experiences and your acknowledgements? Um, I think I would probably just say one of the biggest, biggest things that's mattered to me most as a writer is remaining grateful. And so like the idea of the acknowledgements and this is why I was so excited to talk to you about this was just like, it got to be a personal journey. I got to like write my gratitude journey of like, who do I think there are a million people without one person, maybe this would not have happened or one other person, this would not have happened. And so, um, this was a huge um, you know, uh, labor of love to write the book, not always of love, but like in general. Um, and so the acknowledgement is just like such a wonderful part of being able to put some language to like who I think and why, and why that matters to me. So, um, yeah, everyone's like, Oh my God, it's your acknowledgement so long. I said, I could not imagine them having been shorter. I said to the people that really mattered, I told them, thank you. And that I've always been a really grateful person. So, yeah. That's such a, a beautiful way of putting it. And I was, you know, just reading something about gratefulness and, you know, when you really sit down to consider what you're grateful for, Yeah. Um, just starting with, you know, what am I grateful for just with even one thing, it expands from there and you realize how much there is. Right. And it, 
flip-flops your, you know, your perspective into of coming from a place of gratefulness for, for so many things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's like books are not, I mean, books are, I I, I wrote about this books are solitary and yet people read them and you talk to them. It's like, Oh my God, is this, is this anything? And someone says, yes. And you're like, wait, okay, that kept me going for a year. And someone else says, I really like this part, try more of this. Yes, that kept me going. So all the things like it feeds itself. And um, yeah, I would be remiss if I did not stop and thank all the people for nine years of my life that helped this thing become a thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Monica. It was great talking to you about yourself and about your book, Revival Season. Thank you for having me. This has been so wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for getting curious about the acknowledgements and remember to read from cover to cover. Check out the acknowledgements on Facebook, Instagram, or theacknowledgements.com. There you'll find more information on the books and authors that I talk about here.